Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Autism Unmasked. My name's Nikki Collins. I'm the autism coach and author of Through Autistic Eyes. You can find out more about my coaching and my book on my website, theautismcoach.co.uk. And today I'm joined with Heather Tingle, who is the decluttering queen. And let's face it, with our executive function challenges that we can sometimes face, decluttering is a really a, a topic that needs to be discussed and Heather's business is untangled by Tingle and there's a reason why she got into this field. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and giving your valuable time today to speak with me, Heather. And as I say, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for inviting me on. It's great to have you. As I was introducing you, I was thinking... Well, my washing made it into my bedroom. It made it off of the clothes racks, but it hasn't made it into the drawers. It made it onto the bed, which kind of just went onto the floor. (laughs) That's kind of normal for people that I work with, let's face it. It, it, You know, you did well. You got it out of the washing machine. It's dry. It's not rewashed five times. So, you know, that's good going. But you can never get the smell of washing that's been sat in the washing machine out unless it's been worn and then rewashed. Yeah. Why? I can't stand that smell. It's like one of them smells. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on from my floor drobe, which I currently have. What got you into? um, What got you into decluttering? Uh, Obviously, I know some of your backstory because we've spoken. But what what got you into it? Um, It was kind of a crunch point in that I was with my partner, and he was very, very tidy at the time. Um, I was undiagnosed, so I didn't have an ADHD or autistic um, diagnosis at that point. Um, and he fell over all my clothes at the side of the bed. I had a floor drobe and he tripped and headbutted um, a wardrobe and a, um, a wall, uh, pretty much gave himself concussion. And he was just, he just, to be fair, he was a lovely guy, but he just lost it. He was just like, why can't you just tidy up? And I was like, I don't know, I just can't. Um and then eventually we split up and um, I bought the Marie Kondo book. Um, and I thought it was going to be another one of those books that was going to change my life. And what would actually happen was it would say, say on a bookcase somewhere and never get read and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I started to read it and started to implement it. And by the time he came to pick all his stuff up that he'd left behind, um, my house had totally changed. Like in the process of, I would say, a year. I went from total clutter, total chaos, nightmare every day, panic, to having a really decluttered home, which was tidy and was able to be tidied quickly and properly tidied, not just shoved things away, which I'd never had in my life before. Um, yeah, so totally transformed my life and then started to get people asking me how I did it. So I started telling them and then became a professional organiser. Now I do it for a living. Well, now you just launched a course, haven't you, on decluttering, which starts very soon. I know the the doors to this particular course have closed, but it's 
yeah I'm running it again at the end of the year towards the end because it's it's my favorite course I love doing it it's only 11 weeks an hour a week and it just totally changes how people think about the stuff and I think one of the, the biggest things that when I'm working with clients is they feel that they're just stuck in an endless cycle and they've tried to do it before and they've not managed it and got in the same cycle again and again and it just breaks them out of that cycle and and you do it properly and once you do it once properly everything becomes easier after that so yeah I love I love doing that it makes me so happy I, I bet it's really satisfying to see the transformations because I'm sure that people they must do they post progress pictures? oh yeah at the, at the beginning everyone's really scared to put a before picture on so that I tell them to do it just themselves just to keep it in the phone so they've got it um and then later on as they start seeing the wins they then realize that actually the rest of the group aren't going to judge them because everybody's in the same position all it takes is like one brave soul to post and then everybody goes, oh I can do it it's okay um and then you know then they can't stop sharing it's it's just lovely to see the before and afters and sometimes the before and afters aren't like massive room transformations they might just be one little space that's now sorted and organized they might have got rid of a million pens that don't work and now they've got a pen they know where it is and it does work so when they need a pen they know exactly where to go for it little things like that just add up to everyday life being so much easier Oh, absolutely. I have a cat who likes to chase pens and steals them from my desk. So I'm forever hunting pens. <laughs> but absolutely, if I don't have things in a certain place, it just throws me, it throws me off because yeah. I don't know where things are and then I get stressed. And so I've trained myself to have these specific places. And obviously it's not fail-proof because I'm human. and. Yeah. Sometimes, yes, my keys do end up in the fridge or some random weird place that they really shouldn't end up. But, hey, I'm neurospicy. What do you expect? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I am the worst for thinking, I'll put this here, not in its normal place. I'll remember where I put it later. And oh. I absolutely no chance I'm going to remember in 10 seconds' time where the hell I put it. So um, that's why I think it's taking back control of your own life and your own home again. When you take back control, I am the first to admit I am a control freak. And I think that is part of my neurodivergence is that I am I, I will control what I can because if I'm not in control or if I, if I can't see the plan or I can't see the way forward, I end up in overwhelm and a meltdown. So for me, being in control of my home not only makes me feel less worried about things that I can control, like, you know, inviting a tradesperson into my home for example already my anxiety is through the roof because I might have to do small talk I've got social anxiety I might have to make them a cup of tea will I make the cup of tea right if you add on top of that the house is a total tip mm. like I won't even make that phone call I mean phone calls are hard enough let's face it so yeah I won't make that phone call to book a tradesperson in whereas now my home is organized and tidy it feels that the things that I've got to be in control of are a lot easier therefore the things that I can't really control like social anxiety are kind of lessened because that's the only thing I've got to worry about just one thing rather than 50 of they can't go in that room because I don't want them to open that door what happens if they need a wee and they've got to go upstairs and I don't want them in to see this room and all that kind of stuff so it just makes living easier that makes sense um I can relate to a lot of what you said and I know that 
some of your backstory was that you also grew up with grandparents who were hoarders so that must have had a big impact on on your journey yeah I think like growing up they definitely were undiagnosed autistic absolutely well one definitely was um and uh, they also grew up in the depression where they had to keep absolutely everything because everything was valuable and then if you add into that then later on in life living in a consumer society that we now do where you could get everything next day um very quickly and easily it it just adds up and I grew up as thinking it was normal that you didn't go in certain rooms in a house because they were full of stuff I thought that that was a normal thing and that actually tidying was shoving things in cupboards and shoving things in rooms out of the way um not putting things in a home I never was taught how to do that I wasn't taught the rules of how to decide to let something go or not where things should live how to actually tidy and on top of that probably how to clean because cleaning for me was always something that seemed really important but really hard work because it's really hard work when you've got a cluttered house to clean it so it was a big effort to keep on top of it whereas now actually cleaning for me is quite down a list of priorities because actually it's it's too easy to me for me to do it now I can do it very quickly and easily and ironically, my neurospicy brain will go, well, it's only going to take you a minute, so you can do it tomorrow. <laughs> so ironically, it doesn't get any easier <laughs> to actually have the motivation to do it. But the ease of doing it is on a different you know, different scale. Oh, yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. I do not do clutter. It's I, I it makes my head really busy mm-hmm. and it could be the source of meltdowns and if there's something that's out of place and it builds and builds and builds and it gets too messy and literally feel like I'm just going to implode yeah yeah I feel that a little at Christmas when the Christmas stuff's in the house you know the tree the cards the you know but I love pretty lights so pretty lights are my thing so it is quite nice in that respect but I feel when I get rid of them again and the home goes back to space I feel that um I feel the the level of anxiety drop I feel like I can breathe again I think oh my god this is what I used to live with but like 10 times this no wonder I was stressed no wonder I was anxious no wonder I was like you know on flight or fight all the time um Mm. yeah so I, I can definitely see and I see it in clients all the time that they're just constantly like on edge it's horrible horrible way to live yeah I could I've I've seen it obviously not on a scale that you have because this is what you do for for your living for for your for your business but I've seen it as well and it's 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 not nice the uh one of our neighbors passed away recently in his home and he was a hoarder and he literally just had this tiny little space in his front room and You'd know when he was in because you'd just see his head because there was nowhere else for him to be and the newspapers were stacked to the ceiling. You, I don't know how many years it had been since he was able to get upstairs, but they recently cleared it out and they just put everything into the back of a lorry and dumped it all. They didn't even go through anything. It was really sad and really quite brutal, yeah. but it's just you just got to wonder what kind of gets a person into that level of into that cycle and stuck there it just yeah. hmm. I think it's because it creeps up on you it starts off 
and it might just be one thing that stops you from being able to let things go. So if you've never, so first of all, if you are neurospicy, if you um, then have maybe a bereavement, or then you have a depression, or you struggle to leave the house, and you have had all these extra things coming in, we then get into this weird trap of being actually very clever and intelligent about things in that, well, um, I'll put all this stuff in the bathtub to get it out of the way. Um, and I'll move it when you know when I want to use a shower or whatever, and then it becomes to the point where actually you can't get it out of the bathtub because there's nowhere else to put it. So then you think, well, I know what I'll do. I've got a bucket. I can put hot water in a bucket, and I'll use that. And we become very ingenious in finding solutions because we've got a brain that finds solutions for things without bothering other people, without thinking that it's like we we don't know where the boundaries are for things. So someone else coming in who lives in a house that has no clutter will look and think, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. You're using a bucket to wash yourself. Whereas actually that's crept up on you and it's become a solution to a problem. You found the solution. You didn't need support to do that. And actually one of the hardest things is is for, for my clients, it's picking up the phone and saying, actually, I'm at the point where I need help. And usually for most of my hoarding clients, it's not them asking for the support. It's um, they've fallen fire brigade have been involved police have been involved or social services have been involved or you know they've fallen they couldn't get out they couldn't get back in that's your home's now dangerous um yeah. because we come up with these ingenious solutions to just keep going and also there's a massive massive fear of someone's going to come in and take all my stuff away and that is the one thing that i have to work really hard and going i'm not going to bring a skip i'm not going to judge you i know how it feels we're going to do this together. I'm going to do it really, really gently. And it gets to the point there where you get, after months of working together, you get a tipping point where actually, oh, no, you can let that go. I don't need to look at every single thing. It's like, no, I'm still going to look at every single thing just to make sure that you're okay with it. But the trust there, the relief is starting to hit. It feels better. They can see the progress and it just changes everything. It's quite a lengthy process then by the sounds of it. When I work with a client, it is because I don't believe in forced clearance. So, you know, you see the programmes on TV and obviously they're, they're made to look shocking, which upsets me. Um, and it is, it's just like someone coming in and waving a magic wand and transforming a home. And actually that doesn't help you because you've got to learn the systems and the rule. You're going to have to create new rules for yourself of how to let things go and how to decide for yourself what you want to keep and what you want to let let go of because otherwise if you don't do those things then in six months time you're going to be in the same position and then someone's gonna to have to come in and do it all over again and that's not helpful exactly it's like lottery winners isn't it they very rarely keep the lottery funds because they have been they've been given or they've won a large amount of cash and they don't actually know how to to distribute it and use it and invest it because they haven't built up to that level of wealth um inheritance can be the same as well so there's so many different ways to to that that's uh, applicable to yeah i mean if you've lived in a home that's been really full and then within a space of a fortnight it goes to pretty much what you would class as empty that can feel really disorientating and especially if you don't like change in the first place that's just going to be absolutely devastating like yes you might feel relief but then the pressure and the upset from it I just don't think it's worth it so it's far better to do it step by step gently to get an end result that feels okay for everybody yeah 
So what would your first step be for anyone who's listening in who's like, oh, I don't know where to start. Um, this is really resonating. What would the first logical step be that you would suggest as someone who's been through this and teaches it to others so successfully now? I think hoarding disorder is slightly separate. Um, so if you lived in a cluttered home as opposed to hoarding disorder, um, I would say it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really matter where you start as long as you start because one of the things that I teach is the Ohio method where you literally, you will close your eyes and pick an item and you'll pick it up and you will decide is it staying or is it going. Ohio stands for only handle it once. So okay. what we tend to do is we tend to have doom boxes and doom bags, which is you didn't organise, you only moved it and we just shoved it in a box or shoved it in a bag or shoved it in a drawer to deal with mm-hmm. later. Yeah. And then when you go to sort that out, your brain will try and make a million decisions at once, like which is the first thing I ought to pick. And actually you're using energy doing that decision making, which you don't need to. So literally close your eyes and pick an item out. And then is it staying or is it going? And if you're really struggling to know where to start, start at a door, start at your front door and work into your home or look at around your home. What is your biggest stressor? So is it laundry? Is it the kitchen? And you're going to go, well, it's everything ever, you know, but, you know, pick one. Like, right, okay. So laundry, the simple one with laundry is if you have less clothes, you have less laundry. So go through categories at a time. And it is a little bit of the Marie Kondo method in that you would pick, for example, your socks. And I would say make it even smaller than that. Because if you're like me, you've got ADHD, you're going to get bored really quickly. So you want to do really small little categories. Um, And if you do, um, for example, just white socks or trainer socks or fluffy socks or winter socks and do those as the little categories and do those really well and properly and compare them, which ones you like the most and which ones actually irritate you, which ones elastics are too tight, which ones seems actually they're the last ones you pick up because they seem really bug your feet. Um, You know, go through those first and then you know you've done that category and then you can move on to the next one, but you can do it in like 15 minutes. 15 minutes is enough and then give yourself a break and a reward. Put some nice music on that you like. Go and have a biscuit, a cup of tea or, you know, a piece of chocolate and, and do one little bit. And then if you've got the – I think one of the biggest things for being – for me, for being autistic, is I need a plan. If I haven't got a plan and I don't know where I'm starting and I don't know where middle point is and I don't know where the end point is, I don't even want to start because I don't understand it. So start with a plan of, right, on Tuesday I'm going to do my socks. <laughs> This is where I'm going to take them when I get rid of some. This is where I'm going to, uh, when I buy new ones, I'm going to decide to let go of some. Or actually, it might just be, you know what? I'm going to get rid of all of them. and I'm going to go out and buy, I'm going to have all black socks. My partner's going to have all white socks and my son's going to have all red socks. And then then I don't have to worry about whose socks or what, whichever, you know. And if they're all the same, then it doesn't matter if you like wash one accidentally and another one don't get washed. You know, they'll pair up eventually because they're all the same. So find a system that works. Yeah, I'm all for the systems, all for the systems, Heather, definitely. I've seen on Amazon, and I love them, talking of socks, you can get boxes of odd socks. Oh, my word. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're OCD and it has to be matching and it's awful. But for me... absolutely freaked me out. (laughs) (laughs) But my son has all white socks and... I just don't care. As long as I've got two socks on my feet that are of a similar texture, right, that's fine. I don't like – one of the things that I've, like, leaned into my my autism is that I now 
will only wear big fat fluffy socks or none at all. They're either really soft and, and fluffy and they feel okay on my feet or no socks because I decided, you know what, life's too short to wear things that stress you out. So even I got rid of a pair of really lovely fluffy socks because ones was one was spot and one was stripe and they were meant to be a matching couple and I was like, these aren't matching. I can't, no, I can't do it totally. Let alone two <laughs> totally separate socks in the first place. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, bless you. So you didn't get diagnosis until you was a later in life either, did you? So I think you were 43. Yeah, yeah, 43. I already knew that I was um, because my daughter got diagnosed five years previously. And at that diagnosis, they asked me when I'd had mine. And I was just like, I'm not not autistic. I kind of knew my daughter was because there was too much that school had pointed out and nursery had pointed out and but everything could have been like for another reason so it could be well she's an only child so she doesn't have the opportunity to play with lots of other children and well but we don't go many places because I don't go many places so and because she was um she was non-speaking when they were wanting to speak to her I had to answer all the questions and I would be saying oh yeah but I I do that yeah but that might be because we don't go to these places I, I find it too stressful or actually my anxiety means that we don't go to play centers or whatever and they were like oh, okay and when did you get your diagnosis what and as I was walking away I could see their shocked face and they went oh okay and as I was walking out of the thing I just like it just like oh my word that's Oh, oh, okay. That might explain a lot of things. I, it was just a just a massive light bulb moment where my entire life made sense. And then I felt really angry that I got to forty three. Well, when I got my actual diagnosis at forty three, I felt very angry that I'd struggled my entire life, had issues of depression, which I now know probably weren't actual depression; they were burnout. And nobody had thought to say. Could this girl be autistic? Like, never, like, why not? I see it now in so many people and think, do they know? They don't. Why do they not know? Because our, our take on what autism is is only now just slightly starting to change, especially for women. Um, and it just absolutely infuriates me that these old-fashioned views on what autism is are still the first thing that people think about. When you mention the word autism, it's still the rain man kind of connotations. It's still in the olden days that people would be in, you know, in awful institutions and not actually successful businesswomen that push themselves really hard um, and, you know, make work their special interest or parenting their special interest or, you know, things that slip under the radar very easily. Exactly. And I think a lot of people are now aware that the research that was carried out initially was tended to be on young white cisgender males. Yeah. Anything that fell outside of that and wasn't the Rain Man or the Sheldon Coopers of this world didn't fit that tick box criteria nicely, which means that you're disregarded and dismissed. And some of the misdiagnoses especially over time, looking back, going through like from the 70s, um, beyond, before that too, but we work from the 70s. <laughs> um, and schizophrenia would be thrown about back then. You'd get electroshock therapy because girls 
females could not be autistic. Mm-hmm. It's just mind blowing. Even recently, though, people being diagnosed with like um, borderline personality disorder. Oh, and yes. think, oh, they're just autistic. Yeah, still goes on today. Still goes on today. I've known people. I've known, well, as a coach who coaches autistic individuals, what has landed on some people's medical records is just quite frankly astounding. And the way that people are so easily dismissed as being too successful because you've made it to adulthood. Congratulations. Well done. Yeah. But at what cost? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. Oh, yeah, there, there, there is a lot that needs to change around that and a lot more awareness, acceptance and actual change because awareness is one step, acceptance is another step. Yeah. Actually making a change that impacts on a bigger scale, that's a whole different thing. That's it. I mean, I still hear it now when I speak to um, like social workers or professionals that are dealing with clients reporting, I will ask them, have you considered the possibility that this client is neurodivergent? And they'll go, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know. I was like, well, I'm autistic and ADHD. And they go, are you? Oh, I would never have guessed. I was like, no, because you don't understand what that actually means. And actually, when I meet that client, I go, yeah, you, yeah. You know, when you're feeling really anxious and you're feeling like, and they think that you're being difficult, actually, you're overwhelmed that's what it is you're really overwhelmed you know you've got too much sensory input and actually we're trying to make you make decisions that at the minute you can't make decisions you've just shut down on me and I totally understand why so let's go back let's let's go and have a cup of tea and let's just have a bit of peace and quiet and just take a minute and I see it but other people don't you just think well that's why probably why I'm good at my job because I can see these things I can see them in advance I can understand why someone left a massive pile of recycling by the back door because actually the social anxiety of putting it in the bin that's at the bottom of the drive is too much they don't want people to see them do it well let's move your bin to the back door then so that you can just literally open the door and shove it in let's find those solutions that make it doable Mm -hmm. and it seems so simple once you said it but it takes somebody else looking in to go hey what about this and you and then that person goes, oh, my goodness, why didn't I see that? That's so easy. It's like, that's what I'm here for, to help you to see these things, to make these systems, even if it is something as, inverted commas, simple yeah. as moving your bin to the back door because you don't want the whole street being able to see you. And actually, one of the things that we we kind of get stuck in, it's always been like that, so it should always be like that. And we don't know any other way, but I, I'm the first person. If you give me a blueprint, I'll follow it. No problem. I can see a plan. I can apply that blueprint to a million different things. But if you've not been given that blueprint, you don't know what other options are available. You don't think that you could move within. Do you know what I mean? The minute you know that that's an option, mm. you can find solutions easier for yourself. Exactly. It's It's just... As you say, it's finding these things, finding these hacks, finding these shortcuts and developing the tools for whatever the problem that you have. And everyone has different challenges and everyone needs a different set of toolboxes and or, or tools to go into that toolbox. Some of them are universal. Some of yep. them are specific to the individual. Some of them work for one. Some of them don't work for others. So find it, build a toolbox up and then. Yeah, but be aware that the people that you see that have got beautiful homes 
well, take that with a pinch of salt. But, you know, if you go into someone's house and it's totally tidy and it's totally gorgeous every time you go, just remember they started off with a really full toolbox and you didn't start off with anything. So actually, it was easy for them to do that. It hasn't been easy for you. And that's not a failing on you at all. It's just Mm -hmm. the fact that you didn't have that toolbox. I'll bring you a toolbox and we'll show you how to use it together. And then you're fine. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, especially later or missed autistic and neurodifferent people, we never got the rule book on life. We never got that book. So let alone the tools to put into a toolbox. So, yeah, there is a disadvantage there. And if that's been a coping mechanism and something spiraled out of control, whether it's clutter, hoarding, addictions, whatever it is, or feeling like an outsider, then unfortunately it then falls to us to then go and find the support that we need to be able to to get to where we want to be. But at least there are people like you who are able to to help um, in this particular area. And I just think it's I just think it's really interesting. So I know that you are launching a membership in May called Untangled Life. And you do do some courses throughout the year, obviously, which we've touched on already. So how can people contact you? How can they reach you if if they'd like to follow you or get in touch? Easiest thing is I'm I'm most prolific on Facebook. I live my entire life on social media. It's far easier. <laughs> do that than it is to actually go outside the normal world um so if they just search in facebook untangled by tingle i will pop up you will see me um and if you're not on social media then i have got a website untangled by tingle.com and you can find me that way and it's absolutely fine to send me a text message rather than ring me because i totally understand or you can send me an email and do it that way um, that's totally fine too i'm laughing because my we were talking about phones and looking when they ring what are you meant to do with it now it's ringing in my group the other day <laughs> my phone is for texting only my phone is not for ringing except in emergencies <laughs> unless it's ringing for somebody else in which case if I have to make a phone call on behalf of a client absolutely fine I can do that if I have to make a phone call for myself no chance it's so strange isn't it so strange our brains yeah. they do like to trip us up sometimes <laughs> Ways around it. So, other than the membership that you're launching in May, Heather, is there anything else that you've got in the pipeline? I'm wanting to launch um, another planner. Well, I actually want to do a couple of planners, really. But the one that a lot of people are asking for at the minute is one on moving home and decluttering and having a plan for that. Mm. And also, I'm working with um, a celebrant as well to create a plan on uh, decluttering deaths which sounds a bit strange, but no, preparation before. So, you know, a plan of where all your bank accounts are, what your passwords are, who need to be contacted, planning your own funeral, that kind of thing. And then also decluttering after death. So if you've been impacted by someone passing away and you've been left in charge of dealing with their belongings, how to sort those out as well. So those are coming in the next I would say next towards the end of the month end of the year I would say but really getting the untangled life membership up and running I think is the main thing so mm. you less alone and have a few more tools in their toolbox really yeah no I think that's absolutely amazing and the work that you're doing is brilliant and long may it continue because it is very very needed service so 
I will link your links into the show notes so that people can easily click through to your website and to your Facebook pages. And yeah, thank you. Just thank you. for Because as I said at the beginning, executive function is enough to trip you up and start you onto a spiral like this, especially when you're undiagnosed. So yeah, it's really important work that you're doing and you're doing a sterling job. So long may it continue for you. And thank you for your time today, Heather. Much appreciate it. Thank you. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Mm -hmm.